waiting, waiting. Man, have truer words ever been spoken about life? I, mean, I do so much time waiting in the uh, pickup line at my kid's school, the, the drive-through at the pharmacy. Um, and then there's the waiting on the, the relationships in our lives. Uh, maybe there were countless years waiting for that, that special person to spend the rest of your life with. And um, maybe you're waiting on a teenager to start communicating with you again um, in sentences, you know, instead of grunts and eye rolls. Um, or maybe it's professional waiting. Like you're, you're just waiting to finally hit that threshold in your career. And then you can focus once again on the important things like family and friends and, you know, maybe even kicking the tires on this whole um, faith thing. Well, no matter how you slice it, waiting is, is no fun. And honestly, we're pretty bad at it, I think, as humans in general. Um, and, and if any of that resonates with you at all, then today there's some promises for you um, in, in the Old Testament that we're going to look at four characters who all struggled in different ways to wait on God in their life. Um, and, and as they struggled to wait, they began to focus on some things that they shouldn't. And they began to put out of focus some things that they should be focusing on. And it's just going to cause a lot of problems in their life. And honestly, one of the uh, great principles we're going to see come to life through this is that we become what we bring into focus. And we begin to betray what we put out of focus. So let's catch up with where we are here on the journey. Remember last week, Chad brought us through the um, time of the judges. Okay, so if you remember the judges last week were Gideon and Samson. Um, he talked about Naomi and Job. And these were like political um, warrior priest type leaders that, that helped Israel kind of through these up and down valleys that they were going through. Um, well, today we're going to connect out of that time of the judges and into what's called the time of the monarchs or the time of the kings. And we'll be looking at the first three kings of Israel, Saul, David, and Solomon. But first, let's get to our first character for the day, and it's going to be Israel. And what we're going to find is that Chad alluded to last week, um, Israel has century after century where, where they are just going to ignore the voice of God. They're going to quite literally just put their fingers in their ears and, and say, God, we hear you. Thanks, but no thanks. Israel is just on this tumultuous ride of disobedience and obedience. And um, we're going to pick up with them today where they are just in utter, utter straits. Like things are just out of control. Okay. Um, they are worshiping foreign gods. It is just chaos. The temple, which is supposed to be where people come to connect and get closer to God. Um, the temple priests are corrupt. They're abusing people. They're abusing their power in every way you can imagine. Um, Israel's even lost the Ark of the Covenant. So think of uh, Indiana Jones, the golden box, if you will. Um, God had them create that as a, a symbolic presence on earth for him. 
Um, it just symbolized to them that he was close to them, that he was in their camp. Uh, well, they, they started using this thing as like a lucky rabbit's foot. Okay, they start taking the Ark of the Covenant with them in every battle. You know, maybe like you take your favorite ball marker when you play golf. Uh, well, eventually their luck runs out and they lose the Ark of the Covenant. The Philistines defeat them and take this thing. So quite, quite literally, they lose the presence of God. The symbolic presence. And when I think of it, it's almost like they're behaving like my sugared up, you know, toddler. You know, when it's way past bedtime and he's just not listening. Um, but, but God loves them enough that he's going to send them a, an olive branch of sorts. And it's going to be in the form of a man named Samuel. And Samuel is going to be the, the last of those kings. So think of that first um, section we started with today. And then he's going to quite literally bridge the gap to this time of the monarchs um, or the time of the kings. Okay, because he's going to coronate the first two kings of Israel. And other things you need to know about Samuel is his name literally means hears or listens. Okay, so from a young age, he's been hearing from God. And now God has given him this role to speak to the Israelites, to share with them what he would like them to do. Well, how do you think that goes? <laughs> um, spoiler alert, it goes terribly. Okay, the Israelites just kind of stick their fingers in their ears and they, they want nothing to do with what Samuel's telling them. And as they continue to kind of wait on God to jump when they say jump and, you know, they want God to ask, well, how high should I jump? And he's not doing that. Um, they they kind of want God to be a little more accommodating and, you know, show up when they demand. And he's not. So they, they hatch this plan, right? And, and you can imagine them. They're sitting around the campfire and they're like, hey, you know what? And they've got like a Brooklyn accent, you know, for some reason. Uh, they're like, hey, you know what? We would, we would really do better with like one of us being king, right? Like who, who needs God? You know, like we're, if one of us is king, then like we'll actually listen. Like we can influence that person. Um, so they, they go to Samuel and they say, hey, Samuel, we know you're pretty tight with God. Um, could you tell him that like we'd sort of like to take another girl to the dance, right? Like we, we want a different king. Like he can still be God up there in heaven and do his thing, you know, bless our battles. Uh, but, but we really want a, a man for a king. And, and you imagine Samuel, he, he walks into the office and he's talking to his boss, you know, God. And if you've ever had to deliver, you know, bad news to your boss, you know, I, I imagine Samuel sort of like, so hey, hey God, uh, so, so you know your people, like, they kind of want someone else to rule them besides you. Like, sorry. You know, and, and God's kind of playing along in my mind or my version because he knows why Samuel's there. But God's like, well, really, why do they, why do they want that? And Samuel's like, well, I don't know, you know. And, and God's like, well, Samuel, here, tell them this. Okay, here's, here's why they don't want a human God. Okay, it's very elaborate. So take some notes, Samuel. Here's why. Because he'll be human, okay, Samuel? Like he'll be broken, prideful. He's going to take more money from them than he should. He's going to send their kids to fight foreign battles. Like he's just going to be broken. They, you don't want this. Tell them they don't want this. So Samuel leaves the office, you know, and he walks back to the people. And he tells them that. And here's what they say. It says, nevertheless, the people refused to obey. 
the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but we will have a king over us, that we may also be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. So they're saying, uh, hey, God, thanks, but no thanks. Like, we'll kind of just roll with um, one of us ruling. We'll do a better job. Um, And the die is cast. So God relents, and he's going to allow them to have kings. And what we'll see today is that all three of these kings will have their, their moments of doing well where they're focusing on God and their family and their kingdom. Um, but then there's going to be a whole lot of moments where they push that away and they focus on something else and, and it will cause them to betray it all. Okay, so they're going to make some choices that are going to bring a lot of harm to Israel. But in the midst of that, God is still going to have a promise for them. And it's a promise for us too. It's God promises not to forsake us. Then Samuel said to the people, do not fear. You have done all this wickedness. God's seen it. You're not fooling him. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart for the Lord will not forsake his people. Are you catching that? That the promise that God's making to the Israelites is, hey, even though you ignore me, even though you forsake me, even though you put your fingers in your ears, like I'm going to not forsake you. I'm not going to leave you. That that he's a good and loving father. In 1936, Ernest Hemingway writes a, a short story called Capital of the World. Okay, and it is set in Madrid, Spain. And in that story is the account of a father and son. Okay, and the boy's in his early teen years and they get into a huge blowout fight. Okay, and and bad things are said between the two of them and the boy heads out. And after a few hours, the father comes to his senses and he heads out to try to find his son. And his son's name is Paco. And he searches for hours and then days and then weeks and then months have gone by, and in a last-ditch effort to find his son, he, he posts an advertisement in the newspaper. And it says, Paco, all is forgiven. I love you. Meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon on Saturday. Dad. And as Hemingway's words continue, as Saturday rolls around, 800 Pacos <laughs> show up seeking love and forgiveness from their father. You see, friends, I think Hemingway understood a whole lot about the human heart, that we all long for a a deep connection with a good and loving father. And I don't know what your relationship was like with your dad or is like with your dad. Um, My dad was a great provider and protector, um, but I also know that I longed for a, a deeper just emotional friendship with him than I could ever accomplish um, before he passed away. And I don't know where you're at on that spectrum with your dad, but know this, that the the God of the Old Testament, the Godfather of the Old Testament, the, the Father God of the New Testament is the same Father God of 2021, and he's a pursuing father. That though you ignore him, forsake him, put your fingers in your ears, he is not gonna give up on you. Okay, so that's our first character is Israel. Let's catch up with where we're at now on the journey. We're heading into now our first monarch, and it is going to be a man named Saul. 
And friends, Saul is everything that a king should be, right? Like he is tall, he is handsome, he is athletic. I mean, he is just like everything that Israel had probably wanted in a king. But what we're going to find is that though he looks like a king, though he acts like a king initially, though initially he's wise and humble and makes good decisions, um, initially he's focused on God and his family and his kingdom and he's, he's becoming those good things, um, he's going to put that out of focus and he's going to begin focusing on one man, okay? His son-in-law. And his son-in-law's name is David, all right? And David, it's the David, if you've heard this story, kills a giant with a few pebbles and a slingshot. Um, David is ripped from obscurity of being a shepherd boy. And he kills this giant. And the prize for that was the hand of Saul's daughter in marriage. Okay, so David goes from the, the field with the sheep to the, uh, the palace that he's married to the king's daughter. And he becomes best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. Um, he becomes a great, mighty commander in the army. And, and David is really everything that Saul wants to be. He, he's a magnificent warrior. He's a, a musician and a poet. I mean, he's quite literally like Chuck Norris and Bruce Springsteen, you know, came together and made a person. Um, this is David. And Saul looks at him and he's going to envy. Okay. Here we pick up, it says, they're coming back from a battle that David has, has won. And it says, so the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. So they're writing songs about the man. Um, then Saul was very angry and the saying displeased him. He did not like that. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David. <laughs> I love the way the Bible puts that. He eyed David from that day forward. That Saul looks at his son-in-law and he, he sees maybe everything he used to be. Right? Saul by now is in middle age. Maybe he sees the chiseled abs and the, you know, the, the tight jawbone of his son-in-law and he, he wishes that was him. Maybe he sees the... Uh, the victories happening in battle and he, he wishes that was still him. Or maybe he sees in David even the things that he never possessed, the leadership skills, the authentic love for, for God. But either way, Saul just begins to be just filled from within a, with envy and anger and hatred for David. He's pushed away focusing on God, his kingdom, his family, and he's began to focus just on his inadequacies. And just on David. And he's going to go on, friends, for years chasing David around the mountains, the valleys, the countryside, trying to kill him. Like literally just trying to wipe him off the face of the earth. He's so angry. And in the middle of that, though, God is going to reach out to Saul with a promise that, that God reaches out to us with, honestly. And it's this. It's to change our heart if we ask. 
that at this point, Saul's heart is just filled with all of these negative emotions. He's become this like monster of anger and, and envy. Here's what God says to him. He says, then the spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. So it was when he had turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart. That there's these moments in Saul's life where he softens and he stops chasing David. He stops all of his murderous plots. Um, But it's almost like God gives him this new heart and then Saul continues to just hand it back and say, no thanks. Like I'm going to put the rock back in. And it doesn't have to be envy, but I wonder if you've been there before. Like I've found as I continue to age, I know it's hard to believe, but I'm in my 40s. Uh, as I continue to age, this, you know, I look at life and I'm like, hey, it's, it's gone pretty well. You know, like it, it's not everything maybe I hoped it'd be. I'm not driving a flying car yet. Um, but, but overall, it's kind of like, you know, hashtag blessed. You know, people put that on Facebook. Um, where things are going pretty well. And maybe that's you. You're in your 40s, 50s, 60s. Who knows? Um, but then you kind of look around and you see those, you know, thinner waistlines and those smoother face lines. And uh, those big, thick, full heads of hair like Neil has, our, our music guy here. <laughs> and you start to wonder, like maybe God's held out on me, you know, and maybe I don't have it anymore. And, and the more you focus on that, the more you begin to become those negative emotions. Well, the promise to Saul that is the promise to us is that God will give us a new heart that will help us become a new man or a new woman. So Saul never changes. He's always on this yo-yo of chasing David and eventually he's killed in in a battle um, tragically. So let's catch up with where we're at in our journey here. So we've, we've left Saul's um, kingdom and we're going to head to the second king of Israel, who's David. So the very same David that we were just talking about. And friends, we're going to see that David is going to drift. So as we talked about, David is like a national hero, right? Like he has just been crushing it his whole life. He's gone from the the field with the sheep to the palace and now he is king. Samuel is going to coronate him as king. And at first he is just going to be crushing it. He's going to be doing everything right. He's going to take the city of Jerusalem. Um, He's going to move the capital of the kingdom to Jerusalem. He's going to be winning battle after battle after battle. But slowly what we're going to see is that the king, though he starts focusing on the right things, David initially, his whole life has been focused on God, God's honor. He's been focused on his family. He's been focused on his troops. He's going to slowly start to drift. That there's going to be a moment where the Bible says it's the time where kings went to battle. Where David is supposed to be out fighting battles with his men, right? 
And this is the very same guy, again, who killed a giant. This is Chuck Norris meets Bruce Springsteen. And his men are off fighting and David's just home and he's bored, right? And here's a uh, newsflash, like boredom and men don't go together very well. Um, and he's strolling the, the roof of his palace, right? And, and it's another famous story you might have heard of. Um, he spots a, a woman bathing, right? And, and we've all seen things that maybe we know we shouldn't see. So we like have that decision, like, am I going to turn away and move on? Or am I just going to have a Thanksgiving feast with my eyes? Um, well, David goes Thanksgiving. He goes all in on the, the turkey and the uh, mashed potatoes with his eyes. So much so that he sends his men to go get Bathsheba. They bring her back to the palace. And as a result of that, Bathsheba becomes pregnant. And David has this moment here where he can choose. Am I going to focus on God? Am I going to come clean? Am I going to repent? And he, he pushes that away. And, and he knew Bathsheba's husband, which kind of makes this a lot worse. There's a man named Uriah who was one of his friends. And he tries to trick Uriah into, you know, thinking the baby might be his. That doesn't work. So eventually he just has Uriah killed. In battle, he sends him out front, basically just straight up murder is what he does to his friend to cover up this decision. And with David, we see this slow, gradual drift away from God. And eventually, two wives aren't enough. He brings Bathsheba into the home. You know, the conquering hero, like, oh, your husband's dead. I'll take you in. Wink, wink. Right? Like he just killed her husband. Um, well, he adds four more wives because two aren't enough, apparently. Um, and he has six wives, which he knows God had told him not to do. And each of those wives he has children with. So you have all of these kind of half siblings where they have the same dad, but different moms. And utter chaos is just going on under David's roof. Okay, as these children began to hit adolescence and puberty, all sorts of atrocities are going on where the, the brothers are taking advantage of the sisters. And David continues to just sit on his hands. He's just watching it all happen. And he's not moving. <laughs> he's drifting further and further away. And eventually he's just going to let it go so far, year after year, that one of his own sons is going to pick up the torch and try to overthrow his dad. It's going to take a few years, but the son's going to come back and say, Dad, you have not done anything. And David goes on the run. He's just trying to get out of Dodge. And eventually his son, who he loves, by the way, and David has these moments of being a good dad, but his son is murdered, killed by one of David's generals. And we find David and he's broken He's, he's lost his son. His family's in disarray. And God is going to reach out even in that moment and give him a promise. And it's this. It's God promises unconditional relationship. That like a good father, God's saying, hey David, I know you totally have messed things up royally. Like this is bad, but um, here's my promise to you. And let's read it together. He says, tell this to David, I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him 
So, so God's saying, hey, I'm a good dad. Like if David makes bad decisions, he's going to face those consequences. I'm even going to bring discipline into his life through these other countries that are, that are going to invade um, because I, I love him and I want to see him grow, right? We watch these crime documentaries sometimes and it's amazing the far reaches of a parent's love that you'll see a serial killer up on the stage, you know, being, you know, interrogated and there on the front row is his mom just sitting there and she's heartbroken and she's devastated but at the same time her mercy is not left her relationship with that son or that daughter is unconditional and that's the same with God with us and as I think of David and this slow drift of his I think it's almost more dangerous than like a quick u-turn off of the road right Like, because with the slow, almost imperceivable drift over years away from a a marriage or a a relationship with your children, that slow drift, sometimes you you don't know what damage has been done until it's it's too late, right? Well, well, that's where we find David. But the promise from God is that promise of unconditional relationship. Well, let's catch up with where we are now on our map. We're heading to our last king of the day. Okay, and a sign of God's mercy here is this king is actually named Solomon. And Solomon is the son of, you guessed it, David and Bathsheba. So even in the midst of David's horrible decisions and utter mistakes, God's still going to say, hey, here's a, a token of my mercy. Your, your son from that relationship is going to be the next king of Israel. But what we're going to see is that Solomon forgets. And Solomon, okay, so think about it. He grows up in the home of David. So he's got these six moms in the house. He's got all kinds of um, brothers, sisters. There's all kinds of abuses going on. Um, Solomon is going to get a firsthand lesson of life, right? And he's going to learn that, hey, more money didn't really make us happy. Um, Pleasure, my dad had lots of wives and concubines, that didn't really make him happy. Um, He's going to learn that like the the best things in life aren't coming from maybe the things that he would think. So there's this moment, it's pretty cool, where God offers Solomon a blank check. And he says, hey Solomon, I'm going to give you whatever you want. Okay, and Solomon thinks about it, um, and instead of love, he doesn't ask for that, and uh, he, he doesn't ask for money, right? Doesn't ask to be famous. Nope, he's going to ask for wisdom. And initially, Solomon's kingdom is doing so well. (laughs) Initially, he's focusing on God. I mean, he asks for wisdom. I wouldn't have asked for wisdom, right? I would have asked for like a whole lot of money. That's just me. Um, But he asked for the right thing and his kingdom's going so well. But then slowly he's going to begin to push that out and and begin to focus on other things. One of the cool things about Solomon is he he's an author so like he has got this amazing wisdom that he's been given from God and he, he writes a book called Proverbs, which is uh, wisdom from a, 
father to a son type wisdom. Um, he writes this book that will make you blush called Song of Solomon that's about his relationship with his wife. And it's about monogamous love. And it, I mean, it's, whoo, yeah, you need read that one with caution. Uh, but it's, it's beautiful. But then he begins to forget that he, he forgets the lessons he learned in his house growing up. That pleasure wasn't going to bring him ultimate satisfaction. That um, wealth wasn't going to bring him ultimate satisfaction. And he's going to forget big time, folks. Okay, so he's going to go from writing a book about a one man, one woman, monogamous lifetime marriage to having 700 wives. <laughs> okay, and then he's going to add 300 concubines onto that. I mean, I am no math major, but that's a thousand ladies. And Solomon, there's only 365 days in the year. Okay, like just do the math on that one. Um, but what we're going to discover is that it's, it's not so much about lust as it is about trust. That even though God had allowed him to grow his kingdom to huge, vast territories, Solomon is the wealthiest king of all time. They were so wealthy, they had so much gold that they began to turn out silver as just common metal. <laughs> they just threw it out of the coffers like it was nothing. So even though he knows that, he's going he's to forget. Right? And he's going to um, lose track of the, the lessons that he had learned. But in the midst of that, again, God in his graciousness is going to give Solomon a promise. And, and it's going to be this promise for wisdom. He says, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for a long life or you haven't asked for riches or your enemies to be killed, uh, but you've asked to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart. And, and what's interesting is this gift from God comes on the front end of Solomon's um, reign. So you can begin to wonder, well, if God gave him wisdom, then how did he lose it? Um, but what I, I understand this to mean is that the wisdom isn't like Rain Man meets Jeopardy kind of trivia show wisdom. Um, it is really an understanding heart, which really comes from the connection with God. That if God is the author of wisdom, God is the author of life, and you want to have wisdom and understanding in your life, then you, you connect with God. And as Solomon began to push that focus away, he began to lose that wisdom. And it, friends, as you look at all of our characters today, one word kind of pops into my head is, and it's related to this forgetting, is the word remember. That, man, if the Israelites would have just remembered that God brought them out of Egypt, that he fed them in the wilderness, that he defeated enemies with like a mason jar and some candles, right? Like, then maybe they could have pulled their fingers out of their ears. Or, or if Saul would have remembered that he was the first king of Israel, that God had allowed him to become king, that David was just a shepherd boy. Like, why is he jealous of a shepherd boy? That'd be like Tom Brady being jealous of me. Like, it just shouldn't happen. Um, if he would have remembered that, then he would have held on to that, that promise of God for a new heart. And if David would have just remembered, if he would have remembered going from the field, tending for sheep, the last of brothers that they didn't even think of when they were looking for a king, 
to now he's the, the king of Israel, that, that God had given him glory in battles. If he would have just remembered all of that instead of getting bored and walking the roof, man, would life have been different. And if Solomon here would have just remembered what he, what he learned in his parents' home in that palace, just remembered the amazing wisdom that God had given him, just remembered the goodness of a good and loving father, he would have saved so much pain and so much drama in his life. So friends, I, I would encourage you that, man, if, if you want to keep from making some of these mistakes, whether, whether it's forgetting or putting your fingers in your ear or, or drifting or, or envying, then you got to do it in relationship. That, that we need help doing that. That I drift unless somebody says, hey, you're drifting, right? My wife does it all the time and I'm driving. Um, well, one way to do that is to be in connection here at Horizon. That hey, we have awesome men's groups that meet and we have awesome women's groups that meet. Um, that you need people that are walking this journey with you, right? And, and hopefully you can go through this Fast Track Promises book, even at home. Right? If, if you want one, we have them here at the church, the paperback. Uh, if, if you want to do that online, it's horizoncc.com backslash fast track. Everything will be there. Um, but would encourage you to think from today about what promise maybe you can remember. Do you, do you need to remember that, that God is, hasn't forsaken you, no matter if you're ignoring him or not? Do you, do you need to remember that, that God can give you a new heart? When maybe your heart has been so full of envy or, or bitterness or greed or anger that God can pluck that out and give you a heart of flesh? Do you need to remember like David that God's love is unconditional, that his mercy doesn't depart, that no matter maybe where you find yourself right now, if you're totally off track, um, that, that God, his mercy is still there. Or do you need to remember that God is the source of wisdom? And that no matter where you're at and if you're struggling with decisions, that that wisdom can come as you connect to the author of wisdom. So I hope you've had a, a, a great time walking through these characters with me. I know I've learned a lot and I'm looking forward to continuing our walk through Jesus' Bible together. Thanks a lot.